Welcome to the latest instalment of the Evolution Exchange podcast. I'm joined by a panel of very experienced tech leaders to discuss an intriguing topic, the challenges facing startups and scale-ups. Before we delve deeper into this topic, let's work our way around the room with some introductions. I'd like to know who you are, what you do, and also your interests outside of work. So we'll start with Shruti. Hi, Connor. Um, well, I'm Shruti and um, I'm uh, originally from India. Um, I have been working as a product person for almost 10 years now. And um, right now I'm working with Lego as a product manager and I have been working uh, in a startup before this, like uh, as late as August this, this year. Um, and outside of work, I really enjoy carpentry and spending time in the kitchen cooking Indian meals. Nice to be here. Thank you for that introduction, Shruti. Uh, Mass, could we get a little introduction from yourself? Yeah, sure, Connor. Uh, so my name is Mass. I um, work at uh, Tixa as an engineering manager, uh, where I've been engineering manager for a year. Uh, now, before that, I have, uh, have been uh, various tech roles from from tech lead to to uh, to a more spanning architect at Dixa, um, where I've been at Dixa since the the inception. Uh, I was the first employee, so the fourth uh, person after the three founders. Uh, so I've seen it it grow all the way from from very very small to uh, to now uh, 300 plus people. Um, private, I privately I'd like to spend time with with my family and friends and. Uh, play games and board games um, uh, whenever the opportunity strikes. So happy to be here. Thank you for that. Some very, very relevant experience there as the company has been through its scale up phase and I'm very excited to hear your input today. So if we could move on to Dimitri and get a little, introdu- a little introduction from yourself. Sure. Hi Connor. Hi everyone. Hi the audience. Uh, so I'm, uh, my name is Dimitri. I'm currently a team leader at Danish uh, digital healthcare startup named Corti. Uh, it's my third startup already. I started Back when I was at school as a kind of computer guy, but when you are 16 and you know exactly what you're going to do with your life, I decided that I want to work with like health and medicine and biology and I kind of stick to it. Uh, so I worked in uh, three different startups as a software engineer and later team lead uh, in two of them, including the current one, uh, all connected one way or another to biology and medicine, uh, but also like some, some software developments. I'm not a biologist myself. It's always software development in connection to healthcare, digital healthcare, medical service providers, etc. Uh, in private life, I uh, do plenty of activities. Among others, I do two types of dances. I do Lindy Hop and Tango, and I also practice some improv comedy uh, from time to time. And happy to be here. Looking forward to the conversation. Thank you. And last, by no means least, Christian. Thanks, Connor. Um, yeah, Christian here, um, product manager at Weld. Joined Weld a year ago, um, coming from a background in consulting working in the data analytics space, and are now using that experience to uh, build a data operations platform. Um, Weld as a company is only a year and a half old, so I joined pretty early. Um, so it's one of the, I would say, not quite at the scale up phase yet. I'm still um, very much a, a startup. Um, outside of work, I do a lot of running and try to do a lot of uh, workations, uh, leveraging the fact that you can now work remotely uh, from anywhere, basically, uh, which I try to do as much as possible. I appreciate the introduction, Smolia. Some very big differences on the hobbies outside of work, I must admit. But um, I'm looking forward to getting into the topic. So now we've established a little bit of context on each of you, let's move on to the, the question in focus, the challenges facing startups and scale-ups. So Shruti, I know you posed a question to the group. Yeah, um, well, 
before I get to the question itself, I uh, just to set some context, um, I have been thinking a lot about the topic itself and how when you're in a startup or a scale up, you usually start up with either an idea or a problem. And if you're starting with a problem with an intent to solve it, then that's where there's potential for something extraordinary to happen. But at least in my experience, what I have seen is um, with time, startups tend to become uh, piling up with ideas. In fact, there are so many uh, around that uh, there are, it, it creates a feeling of every idea is a missed opportunity if we don't do it, right? And in, in this context and with this environment, um, having said that, where there is so much pressure to succeed and every opportunity could feel like a big miss uh, if not done correctly, how do you guys uh, go about de-risking your opportunities in your uh, in in your workspace? And when do you pause and say, "Hey, uh, maybe this is the time to change course or change direction in terms of strategy or vision?" It's a very very good question, um, and I think it it hits at at the heart of of a lot of the problems um, because I see that every every single opportunity is a, is potential. Uh, has a potential risk um, of, of of missing out on on revenue or potential new markets or, or whatever it is, and and it's as as I see, it's really important not to fall into this category of becoming sales driven of just saying have your your uh, sales department come and say hey there is this new opportunity this new prospects that want this this one thing because as I see it you will always end up chasing being a dog chasing a tail. Um, and, and if you do end up catching it, you don't actually know what to do with it. Um, so with that in mind, um, I think it's very important to listen to all the feedback, all the prospects coming in and use your, as a engineering leader, as a product leader, use your own, uh, background and vision on, on the, the, the product you're working on to weigh that against the opportunities coming in and always choose the one that makes the most sense for the business. So early on, it might be easier to just say, well, this is what I believe. And later on, um, from what I've seen is as the company grows and as you move more into the scale-up world, hard facts, metrics, data will become start to rule everything. Um, so you will need to, to be able to back up your assumptions with hard facts uh, as you move, as you grow and as you move more into so this, but it's it's as I said, I think it's really important to as early on as possible address the the sales driven mentality that I've seen in in quite a few startups. Right, and I think honestly, like from my perspective, where it's more also engineering management slash team leadership, um, it is a bit hard for me to say about it because you know uh, I feel it must be somebody who's very close to customer was very close to the like product being going to customer as you said mass maybe later stages is analytics maybe in the early stages it's more of a gut feeling and just some sort of a case interviews you're doing uh but definitely uh, like i'm a strong believer in market validation it's just i don't know how to do it myself honestly because i'm more focused on people's leadership i'm more focused on like technical insights so here i often i just rely on on the pm i'm working with or in some sort of a uh, if it's an early stage startup uh, maybe on a more sales or uh, executive person who's going directly to customers, sells to them, giving me, bringing the feedback. But also in that context, I can say what you said is about kind of fear of missing out, right? Not being able to deliver everything. And I definitely see it so, so much within a technical team because when you have an ambitious technical team, people generating like 
trillions of ideas and you're like like everybody kind of accepts that yeah we, we're not going to be able to do all of them um and it's always such a pain to let go of, of any of them but we just should because like w we can clearly see that and somebody needs to like cut i guess uh, on that um mess as you have something yeah and i think to add to your point dimitri is when there are thousands and thousands of ideas personally i think it's more important to do fewer things right than all the things uh wrong and i think that that's also my point of uh being a dog chasing a chasing a, uh, its own tail because you won't actually end up getting anywhere if you try to do everything at once yeah totally i agree i i prefer to have a like i mean it depends on how big the two tech people they have a pretty clear idea of which projects might might work better which projects might work worse in terms of tech specifically in terms of what's going to happen if it's a male models which models are more likely to perform, which models are less likely to perform. If it's a software, like which which kind of architecture we can actually implement, which will take us forever to implement. I think people do have a gut feeling uh, about it. And that's kind of what I can bring as a team lead to the desk of uh, de-risking opportunities, uh, talking to the team, making sure that this kind of implicit knowledge that engineers have surface up and the people from the product side can see them and they see like, okay, yeah, we can do this product, which will take us two years, or we can do this like 80% of the product, which will take us two weeks and to be able to somehow bring it up and communicate. Yeah, just to uh, re, uh, add some to what Mass was saying, this whole, uh, you know, sales will come with, a, I'll say, a lot of great, a lot of ideas uh, from customers. And from what I've seen is customers don't necessarily know what they, not always know what they want um, to some extent, especially when you're, doing, I would say, a pretty technical product like what we are selling. Um, so it's a lot of work goes into distilling all the ideas, all the, the problems they have into, you know, maybe it's more generic solutions that they didn't know they, they wanted that solves it for as many customers as possible. And then sometimes it's saying saying no. <laughs> That's a, I've learned that the, the hard way is uh, there are so many ideas and you know, focus is so important. Um, so I do more often say no than uh, yes at, uh, at the moment. Um, but we have you know, resources, uh, are such a valuable thing. Uh, so keeping the focus is yes, just super, super important um, to do. Um, and then when you try something that might be a little on the side of what you, uh, you know, an opportunity and you, you go for it, having clear I guess gates or milestones that you want to reach and 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 then assess that we do did it perform like we wanted to and then you know basically kill it off uh always constantly evaluating uh are we doing is it doing performing as we uh, we wanted to and not get into this sunk cost fallacy of just pouring resources into something that never actually gains any traction just because you've already poured resources into it right um i think that's super important yeah and I th thank you so much, everyone, for your take on it. And I, if I could just uh, speak my mind, then I completely agree with almost everyone's uh, points here. And I have been thinking about it too. And uh, in my opinion, it's, I'm going to say product management a lot, but what I mean is a, a whole product team with tech technical engineering as well as product managers as one squad. And when you think about it, really an organization, especially startups being product-led in this day and age where product management in all its glory is at like the forefront of innovation for uh, organizations. And and if it is, if, if a startup allows product to be done right, then there is, it is more about what will not work in, in this list of opportunities and less about 
what all is going to work. And when, when you finally reach that one idea that is going to give you the ROI that, that you start off with, uh, then it is a matter of scaling and going through all of the processes that comes with it. But more often than not, at least what I feel happens in a startup is um, you start off with an experimentation. You start off that uh, reaching out to users and you start off with um, ideas, multiple ideas even. And uh, with some positive feedback, you get so excited. You go through the emotions of scaling that idea and you reach a stage where you just feel like uh, we, like, like Christian said, like you have put so much resources into it that you just feel like we cannot stop now. We have to keep marching forward because we have already invested so much into this. Uh, and and I think when you reach that stage, it's, it's too late. It's too late because then uh, an organization reaches a stage where uh, there is no, there is a risk of scaling down with um, in terms of costs or laying off people or, uh, you know, getting withdrawal from investors and, and whatnot. And I don't know, I think the best way to de-risk, it sounds really cliche, but I feel the best way to de-risk would be to completely foster a culture of continuous experimentation, which sounds super easy and like a trendy jargon, but it's also very difficult to embed into the core values of an organization, especially in a startup, because nobody is sure what's going to work. And I think each opportunity, if it is looked at from a very objective lens of irrespective of where it's coming from, whether it's going to work or not, that that itself is is the most important thing which makes the difference between hit or miss. So yeah, that's that's a difficult thing to do, but also just as exciting. Yeah, yeah, I absolutely agree. Um so so um I'm gonna ask my question now uh that I brought, which is how do you as engineering uh and product leaders as well ensure that you keep the culture and autonomy of engineers in place? Uh, as you grow uh, during the startup and, and scale-up phase. Yeah, so I'll jump on that uh, because I think I think it's very very important to to keep the stuff right, and and it is it is very hard. Uh, honestly, like what worked for me in the past, I feel that it's like engineering skills don't always align with people skills, and I think it's very very valuable to mentor people and help them grow and make sure they become senior and people oriented enough uh, if we're talking about like an early stage startup so that by the time when you come to a scale-up phase and you need to suddenly grow and you need to suddenly make sure that the culture is not overwhelmed by hiring 10 more people these people not only like me myself as a team lead can also like make sure that this culture is propagated and this culture is is going and I think honestly a big part of it is just like people's self-esteem sometimes people come from university uh they think oh i don't own anything uh, and they like don't feel comfortable maybe challenging maybe being as open and that's not something i think like i don't have a guideline to how to do it but i just feel like you know treating people well making sure that they get more self-confident in themselves uh, and they realize their own potential and then they will themselves very very happily make sure that this culture persists make sure that this culture stays with them uh, because and I, I think the one tricky thing is that making sure that everybody understands that we're not doing it just because of like political reasons we're making it happen because uh, more like self-confident teams uh, more like ambitious engineers they can build a bigger projects better and more sustainably 
and that's like a part of the things where I feel we need to maybe sell it a bit to, towards the business side of the startup, towards the product side of the startup. Um, but uh, honestly, myself as a team lead, I, I find what works for me is just like making sure there are other people who, who, like, who are ready to, to keep building on this culture. And honestly, I would say that's, that's very important in my opinion. That's super good point looking at the, uh, I guess, the employees that are already uh, there, the engineers that are already there before you start scaling, making sure they are kind of ready for the influx of uh, new people. Um, I also want to say, you know, when then hiring all these new people, uh, there's a tendency to, when you're in a rush, I would say maybe cut corner a little bit on the soft skills and focus a lot on the hard skills. Uh, I've definitely seen that happen. And it just rarely works out in the long term. Um, so it might sound cliche a little bit, but in that phase where you just need resources, you just got to get out there. I would probably sacrifice speed a little bit for just making sure that the people with the right cultural fit uh, are hired because um, it's just a better long-term investment because um, it's going to come back um, yeah it's going to come back full circle uh, if that isn't done um, yeah yeah i mean that i i'm just so happy to hear yeah these points because uh, in, in some of my experience i have also seen that especially when a startup is moving towards becoming a scale-up um, and when there are more engineers joining the ranks, uh, more often than not, a lot of focus and emphasis is given on setting up processes in, in, in the sense that, oh, um, how can we measure uh, the efficiency of the engineering team? Shall we look at the team velocity? Shall we look at how many Jira tasks people are solving? Or should we look at how quickly the PR was open? How quickly did it move through the states? And and then suddenly you find engineers who just stop caring about uh, the product, the overall vision, the direction, and are more worried about, uh, oh, let me not open a Jira task now because it's almost end of the day, <laughs> you know? So uh, it's just, it's so it's so easy to just get there. And I mean, it's, uh, it's really refreshing to hear these views and see that uh, because I agree with both of your points that this starts right at the recruitment stage, right? Where... Uh, you uh, you would want to find employees uh, or future employees where uh, they come with an open mind to understand uh, the business and the product as a whole and not just worry about what line of code I'm going to write today and um, come with a with a mindset of ownership and problem solving, which is which is what the whole startup spirit is about being entrepreneurial and autonomous in spirit. But then as engineering leaders also, I feel it's it's super difficult, but super important to foster this culture of uh, allowing engineers to do that, where uh, where they feel like it's it's okay to make micro decisions about the product while I'm writing a line of code, and if that leads to a bug, that's fine. It's not like uh, they are reprimanded for that. So that I think is it's is such a such a important soft thing <laughs> with air quotes to do, but also so needed. What do you think, Miles? Yeah, very much agree. I, I think there are some fantastic points that, that you guys brought up um, that, that I echo a lot. I, I always say when it comes to culture that culture changes over time as, as, you, as you work as a startup, um, but it's super, super important to, to keep. And, and basically every time a person joins a company, the company or a person leaves the company, 
the culture will change uh, ever so slightly. Um, so, so it's really, really important, as you said, Christian, to start from finding the right culture fit when you hire. Um, and and for most people in our line of business, they are smart enough to be able to grow the hard skills. But if you lack the soft skills and don't have the culture fit, it's going to be a bad investment for for getting that person on. Um, and and in that sense, I, I believe it's very important um, that engineering leaders attempt to codify the culture. Um, as well as possible, so so they get the input of every single engineer and, and product person in the in the department and iterate on on the culture. So they have something that is written down, whether that is a, a, a sheet of paper with the culture on that they have a, as a poster in their office, as, as Dixie does, or it's a set of principles or, or whatever it is. It's super important to have that discussion ongoing, uh, so everyone knows what the the culture in broad terms are. Um, and and Dimitri, as you said, uh, I, it's super important to identify key persons that has the soft skills that live and breathe the culture um, in your engineering department um, that I call culture bearers. I've been one myself for years um, as a official and unofficial title um, <laughs> where, where uh, it's, it's super important to have these sort of, of persons that can just influence everyone else around them to to be the culture um because in a startup you want people to, to care a bit more than you perhaps uh are okay with in in large enterprises and as such um uh, culture is as i see it a very good substitute for process early on so you can really really get far by having people that are just fired up and want to to invest more uh and you can get so much more not out of them, but with them uh, in those scenarios uh, than you would with imp implementing a process of, as you said, really to, to getting, well, uh, this week I did five, 10 floor points. That's not really what's valuable. Um, and and to me, at, at the end of the day, in order for, for that to, to have an outcome, to actually be be effective, um, ownership is uh, is the key. Uh, you need to be able to, to give your engineers the power uh, to be able to make the decisions, both large and small, in their domain, in the products they're working in. Um, and, and that's what I try to do uh, every day. Uh, Christian, you have a question. You yeah, uh, not, not quite a question, but uh, I like that you are a self-appointed uh, culture bearer and also officially one. It's uh, great. Um, no, but I think just as well as people can be culture bearers, um, you can also have people who are unfortunately the opposite and that's why it's that and that just you know comes back to the hiring part it's just super important because one bad seed uh, or one bad apple just kind of ruins uh, the bunch uh, is that's often the case at least um yeah so it goes kind of both ways uh, you want the culture bears and don't want the the, the, the bad fits basically no for sure um, but I think it's important to, to also state that um, it's it's very it's very individual what what a culture barrier is and and we have other people that I see in Dixit that are culture barriers in other teams that do things vastly different from me that I disagree with um, it, on a individual uh, like level of this sort of uh, solution I would not have chosen but that's not really what's important the important part is that. People are engaged and people are uh, empowered to make the decisions and 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 can then be also be 
responsible for for those decisions and and can both have the success and and uh, and help with with improving later on. Dimitri. Yeah, I just wanted to say like a couple of things to what you said, Matt, because I really love what you say about like empowering people. I think I think it's it's really the key, and I think in that context, it's also important to not only talk the talk but also walk the walk. You know, like if the leadership say, "Oh, we have all the right values," and then people don't see it, it's just gonna crash and burn. It's so important, and, and I think in general, you know, it's very funny because I remember myself being a software engineer, and I remember I was back in the days. I was like, "Yeah, who cares about values? Soft hard skills is all that matters, uh, and values is just some." corporate uh like i don't want to say a rude words on a podcast because i didn't ask if i can in advance uh but like it's it's just a speech that uh, people use but no i think now that i'm working more and more just with individual people making trying to make sure they all succeed i, I just see how much values matter very much uh, i i also i think there is also a tendency in in tech that uh, technical people follow technical people um, but they also follow those technical people because they also have the soft skills to be able to uh, to be charismatic and influence uh, those people. So if you only have the, the the hard skills, you're still not going to be able to to come across and and foster those uh, um, the, that culture and and uh, and have that empowerment, give that empowerment in people as uh, as I see it. Um, so good point, Dimitri. Yeah. I, I just wanted to um, add one um, small thing about uh, empowering people is it's also uh, to the point what Christian said that that one bad seed spoils the whole uh, whole basket. It's it's also uh, really a matter of whether engineers feel the need to connect outside of the technical forte that they work in and. Uh, how much of the overall business and its uh, its mission is understood and uh, seen as something that the whole engineering team is also uh, uh, owners of or you know are bearers of, um, and I think that also becomes really important for uh, having this feeling of autonomy of being able to see. Um, how the whole Jira task is connected to a product feature, but then that is connected to an overall product vision, the direction in which it's headed, and how that is then connected to a, a, to a, a organizations or the startups overall direction for the coming up year or, or a quarter or whatever it might be. So when as as a as an engineer you can make that kind of connection and understand why we are headed in the direction that we are. Um, along with this culture of um, fostering values and bringing that autonomy in place, I think that's where the real magic happens. And you you just don't need to wait for somebody to tell you uh, whether you have to do this task or that, but rather you're, you just feel so empowered that you just go and like, you know where we are headed and let's get there faster, you know. So, yeah, that's just wanted to add that. Can I just say, I love the way that there's been a separation between hard skills and soft skills, and such a big part of culture is made up from the soft skills. Christian, I love the way you put forward that like, you can often cut corners when recruiting, when you're scaling up, and you can sacrifice these soft skills for the, the hard skills required on the technical side of things. And taking it back to a point that Dimitri made earlier as well, in terms of giving young people the confidence to perform well, especially on an engineering side, and that brings me on to Christy and you put a forward, uh, question forward that was related to young people. So I'd love to hear that. Yeah, I mean, um, just to give some context, I feel like the last uh, more than 10 years has just been 
one uh, you know wild ride of uh, breaking records in terms of funding and the economy just going to the moon and then over this past uh, year uh, year or so uh things have gotten a little uh, little little uh, sour i would or i would say you know the the uncertainty is uh, pretty much through the roof and i can definitely sense that there is some a lot more focus on 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 job security when i talk to uh, my peers or try to uh, recruit or whatever that you know it's not the right there's a little bit of more of uncertainty around startups and scale-ups and where people tend to lean to more more established uh, companies um, doing economic downturns. So my question is just, is there anything um, us working in startups and scale-ups can do to kind of mitigate this in a sense, you know, try to bring some form of security in unsecure, in insecure uh, situation, uh, if that makes sense. Um, start with you, Srudi. Um, well, I really feel like I'm saying this a lot and I'm using this word a lot, but I think having a super strong strategy, that word again, helps a lot simply because if if you look at startups and scale-ups, and it also goes back to the first topic that we discussed, it, it, there's so many opportunities and you want to give everything uh, a chance, like every idea wants to be text, tested with. And uh, when we, uh, we as a scale-up or a startup get excited by something, uh, we go into a hiring frenzy. We just and rather prematurely where we just feel like, yes, this is about to, we are going to bring this home. This idea is doing well. We are getting positive feedback. The MVP was a great hit. Let's just go and uh, get a bigger team. Let's recruit more people. And just, you know, within a couple of months, uh, this this is a done deal. It's done and dusted. And and when, when we are in that mode, we are hiring prematurely. We have a large group of people all excited with this new idea that is going to rule the world but then uh, has it been uh, has there been a product market fit has has it been experimented enough uh, at at a scale which proves that this ROI is going to return did we really need these many people to prove it and this is when uh, if it works then great it it does bring job security to all of the people that were hired but if not, then that's where layoffs happen, and that's no fun for anybody involved, nor for the employees, nor for the startup. And I think, uh, I mean, it it is also my view that uh, sometimes you just need a small group of people to uh, really experiment with the strategy and understand whether this uh, is ready to be scaled. And for us to be able to reach there, I think it's important that uh, a closer look is taken on the recruitment process itself, where rather than just hiring uh, a full-time employee, you can be open and upfront and say, we are looking for a part-time position or we are looking for uh, a contract position where, for six months and we'll just see how it goes. And there's a possibility that it works out and we expand on it. There, there are uh, people looking for such roles also, depending on what's going on in their personal lives. But it's important that uh, companies are really upfront about that because that then sends a strong message that uh, there is no hire and fire culture or, you know, it's a safe environment for employees to join and work in. So I, I really think that, uh, yeah, that's, that's again, a very tough uh, goal to meet but rather important. Yeah, very, very good points, really. Um, 
ultimately, I think that that there is like the the primary reasons, as I see, for for uh, people uh, and and young people to to join a startup as opposed to to a larger corporation or an enterprise is that they want a place where they can perhaps fast track their own growth, but they can also have a, a big impact on on the business. So, so the the type of people that I see that you usually attract is what I would call hungry, as as in they want to 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 try to to exhort things. But that is, as you say, sort of outweighed by right now by the the insecurities of the the market as a whole. And what I believe is a company can do is is that they have to be the company has to be transparent about the state of the business, um, and they have to be transparent to to their employees of this is the amount of runway we have left, uh, this is our, our um, uh, net retention rate, this this is our ARR, this is the projections we're doing, how we. How are we doing as a business? That's super important because it's a there's a lot of difference from starting a startup that says, well, we have three months left to live, uh, and there's one that says, well, we have 18 months. And for uh, for for uh, a lot of people, and I count myself among them, 18 months is a long time in the future to actually be thinking. And and how likely is it that someone that just starting out, starting a place, working there for 18 months, growing massively as you do in a startup, and then not be able to find another job in 18 months. I, I feel that that's unlikely, but that's number one. And number two, uh, and I see this as a growing trend in, in, in small startups that I communicate with from time to time, is that they have a huge focus on, on work-life balance and sustainability. Um, so things like uh, pension schemes, um, I've even seen very small startups that that start to have parental leave um, set up when they're like five, ten people, uh, as opposed to normally when you're like five hundred, uh, which is where where those sort of things usually pop up, um, because that is that is the sort of security that those startups can offer. Um, so they can offer a place where you can have a huge impact and you can still go home and do uh, stuff with your family and you can at times work more, you can at times work less. Uh, you can make sure that that you have uh, the flexibility as well as the benefits that you would want out of a big corporation. Um, so that's what I think that, that startups can do uh, today. Yeah, I think I totally agree with what both of you, Shrutim, has said in terms of like bringing it up front and being transparent about it because I don't like, uh, I, I mean, when people come say we want stability and then you're in a startup setup, and like you, you just have to be honest. Look, we, that's how much we can provide. And beyond that, we're not really a stable company with 40, 80 years of, of existence. So, in that sense, I totally agree. For me, it is kind of expectation management. I try to communicate as early as possible, as transparent as look, we will do our best. We want to succeed, but like this is the reality. We can, I don't know, crash tomorrow, depending on the setup, right? depending on the company. And it, it is a very interesting topic, I think, to talk about all this stability because I also like personally as a software developer, when I was back as just a, a software engineer, software developer, it, it's quite interesting experience because I have a, so I have a person who I know from, from Denmark, uh, they're quite senior. And uh, once we talked with them and they said to me, uh, you know, Dimitri, I never had a permanent contract in my life. It was always a short-term contract like five years max it was very interesting for me because in my 30s 
I'm like, I'm expect, I'm almost expecting that I will never have a longer than five a year employment in my market, in my job market. My environment. Not to say that I don't stick with the companies, just the how nature of the job market. Companies grow, they go up and down all the time, and then you need to progress to build a career. And I would love to stay with a company that I invest my time in. It just doesn't feel to me like the job market operates this way. But for them, five years was, uh, a, for me, five years is a lot, but for them, it was like a very, very short term. So it's definitely also about a perspective that people have uh, in terms of w- what is job security. And uh, honestly, again, remembering myself being a developer, as long as I feel that I'm getting, I, it's, I think it's a more personal thing, right? I don't think every personality agrees with that. But as long as I feel that I'm getting enough in a moment, that I'm like growing, I'm learning skills, and I'm having a decent salary. For me personally, I was like, yeah, okay, I can accept this level of, of vagueness or uncertainty about the future. But maybe that's not, that works for, for everyone to be honest. So if I'm here as a team lead trying to figure out, oh, how can I be better at at communicating this, then yeah, just being transparent. I I really love what you guys said. Yeah, I think think keyword here is just transparency and setting expectations. Uh, I really like the somewhat the combination of what uh, you, Shruti and Mess said that, you know, being transparent about the runway and not going into a hiring frenzy, suddenly you actually do have some kind of security you know knowing there's a 24 month runway or whatever it might be and you trust the leadership to not suddenly make rash decisions suddenly there is at least some sort of security that you might actually not even find in a in a big company when you think about it um assuming it, the the strategy is being stick to and and you know um run a tight ship um I think it's uh, yeah, all super super good points. Uh, um, really like your, your your inputs. Yes, definitely. I like the the agreements on transparency, communication, having a roadmap of how things are going to operate. And I think it's definitely difficult navigating around the market at the moment in times of uncertainty, knowing the direction the market's going to take, especially companies who are starting to scale up, perhaps. And I know Dimitri, you have a, a very important question very focal to today's issue. So if you'd like to put that one forward. Yeah, thanks, Connor. Uh, I think my question kind of taps in a mess what you asked, uh, but in a bit different perspective, because uh, so, I'm also curious about growth of the companies. But it's not that as much as a culture that I want to talk about. It's more all the other things. Like uh, the question I have in mind is, how do we anticipate the change in advance that happens in companies as they grow from scale up to startup and how we steer it? And when I, when I talk about it, I'm more curious about things like the incentives change, right? As you go from five people to 500, the processes change. You're no longer maybe seeking bright individuals, rather you want some stable processes or, or maybe not, right? And like, when do you start acting? It's like, is like 100 people already too late or like should have we anticipated it? Like. How, how do we navigate it? I, I honestly, I don't have a good answer, so I'm very happy to hear what you all think. Uh, very interesting question, and and, uh, and especially the, the added context to it. Um, I don't think you can can make a blueprint out of saying when you're 100 people, you should do this. When you're 500 people, you should be doing this. I think that's very individual per uh, for, for one startup to the next. Um, there could be processes that you put in place when you're five people at other startups don't have when they're a thousand. Um, what I what I think is important personally as a rule of thumb is you should always be conscious about the amount of process you add and you should always be critical about the processes you have. Um, so uh, earlier one we talked about uh, about not being able like not uh, daring to just say no and daring to, to not have the sunken cost 
you should do the same with process. If you have a process that's not working out for you, cut it, um, in, in my opinion. And, and only, as I said, you should only add process when it makes sense to add process. Um, so whenever, whenever there is a specific need from the team, then you should start to, or specific pain, then you should start to, to look at implementing those processes. Whether that is um, going in and changing the team structure um, from a single team uh, that is perhaps 15 to breaking that out into cross-functional teams. That is something that, that can happen when you're 15 engineers. It could also be that you instead have uh, two large teams that you then break up when you're 30 or 40 engineers. That's, as I see, very individual per startup and, and how the strategy uh, works to complement uh, those things. So so uh, until you need a specific thing, um, don't do not do it. And I know that uh, there's this, um, this saying that whenever you need a process, uh, it's always six months too late to implement it. Um, <laughs> but but I always feel like if you start with a if you start with a process before you need it, it's uh, it's it's potentially even worse. I, I, can I just like challenge you very quickly and my point just to, to get off yeah. it and then see how it works? Uh, is that like I'll just come with a very technical example? Um, is that imagine you have a small and I've seen it in different companies. We have like a small startup. We basically have like one two developers who do everything, and then let's speak about the process of, I don't know, code review or something like that. It's kind of something you want to introduce in advance because by the time we grew up to 20 people, it's a bit too late because the code base is already unreadable and people have to rework it completely. Uh, but so like, I feel there might be processes with this example that you want to anticipate, but what you're saying is basically don't anticipate, just just, just roll with it and, and make it when you need it. Yeah, or maybe I should clarify that a bit. So, so for example, in, in, in Dixit, when I was the only backend engineer working on it, uh, I was implementing microservices from the get-go with one engineer. Uh, that was a very much, a, from, from that perspective, that was very much a waste of time having one engineer working on, on, on 20 different services. But when we were five engineers, when we we're 15, that made a lot of sense. And um, and what I can see today is that our teams that have not hit the uh, like it's very hard to to actually change that pro that structure once you move further further down down the line. Um, so so looking back at back at it, I think we would be in a worse situation if we started out in, as a monolith and had to split it out as we went along. So in there, you need a lot of anticipation. For your example on pull requests, I think that that is something that might be easier to add later down the line when not when you're 20 people, but when you're two to three people. Um, so it's it's very it's very individual for the company as I see it, what you need at a, at a given time. Yeah, I mean, there is never a right time to add processes, right? Either you're too early or too late. <laughs> But yeah, I, I really like your point, Mas. And I, uh, I the way I see it, uh, Dimitri, uh, whenever a company moves from a startup to scale up, uh, I, I see it as uh, most, the very first thing that companies look at is the processes. Like now we are too many people. What can we do? How can we have processes that makes everything great? And how can we be on top of everything? which is uh, which is necessary and important. Um, and then the company, of course, would look at strategy and strategy would have actually pushed them to move from being a startup to a scale up in the first place. So those two things, in my opinion, is always at the forefront. But uh, 
what I feel is generally missed is uh, the soft element of things, which um, which just sounds uh, too nice and gooey and people is so easy to forget about the people element of it. And when I say that, I, I don't mean uh, recruiting people or uh, training them, but more or not even the culture, but managing this change itself, because you went from three to five people sitting and talking across one desk to uh, 100 to 120 people, maybe, or even 500 people where uh, you don't know half the team and the older employees might be just feeling, who are these people? What are they doing uh, to my code that I wrote for the very first time? <laughs> you know, so that there, there is a sense of territory amongst the older employees. And then there's a sense of uh, I need to prove myself amongst the newer employees. And that, of course, uh, comes with a lot of change management that needs to happen. And I think most startups, when they are moving towards becoming a scale-up, they think of a lot of things, but they don't think about uh, managing change in, in a more structured way and how an organization is transforming itself. And it, it, it couldn't just be done by resetting the org structure, by forming teams and doing that, but it's more underlying to it, more underlying in the sense of, now it's going to sound so cliche when I say this word, but it all lies in communication, right? And how you do it. So you went from communicating across one desk and how are you going to communicate in a similar manner, keep that culture going across multiple desks with 120 employees and it's never easy. And if not done right, it could be irrevocably messy you know you cannot go back to having that uh, nice cozy startup culture if, if you mess up going uh, into becoming a scale-up without actually managing this change and the only thing I feel is if you don't have a, um, and, and it, it is the case most often that sometimes startups don't have this change management capability within uh, their own um, organization because nobody starts startup thinking about change management because there is so much more you're taking care of right so this is on nobody's mind so it's it's always a good idea to bring in an external expert even to handle this short phase of how do you navigate around this how do you uh, make processes and people synchronize well with each other and uh, yeah and the older engineering patterns showing the newer engineers the, their code and being okay with them challenging it or uh, reviewing it even or bringing in their own ideas and not guarding it with uh, legacy systems and saying that, oh, no, this cannot change at all whatsoever or we break everything, <laughs> which which is so most often the case. There is always that one system in every startup which just cannot be touched. And I think, yeah, it, it, it starts from there <laughs> where you need to manage at so many layers that needs to come up. But yeah, what do you think, Rishin, my fellow product person? I definitely agree. And I just want to also circle back to the point of anticipating when you need processes. I mean, the, the life of a startup is in many ways unpredictable, but also predictable. You know, it's the, you go through a lot of funding rounds and it, following each funding round, there's a frenzy of hiring. And I, th I feel like leading up to each of those, you might have some uncertainty exactly when it will be, but you can definitely anticipate some things that simply maybe would be nice to have in place before you know you're going to hire like crazy. Um, you know, an example is I'm sitting next to our customer success manager. Super easy talk, you know, big funding round. Suddenly there might be five, ten problem 
so I can at least maybe not implement necessary processes before, but at least start to think about what needs to change, what isn't scalable. Um, just to, at least there will be some obvious uh, obvious wins that can be at least identified beforehand when you know you are going to hit these milestones where the organization radically changes in a very short period of time. Um, and that's also where it makes sense to think about something like change man management. Suddenly people have to get used to working in very different ways. What those way ways are, probably to be defined, right? But but you can at least uh, know that things will, will change. Mesh, you have a comment? Yeah, that, that was, you just blew my mind with what you just said, because that makes so much sense. Um, I have uh, gone through funding rounds in the past where all of a sudden we have so much money, but we didn't think about hiring six months before because we didn't want to uh, uh, just, we didn't want to sell the, the, the skin before the bear was shot, uh, as you say in Danish. So we held off hiring um, before until the funding round was closed and all of a sudden it took us nine months to get the first engineer on board. So we, we got all the money in and then there was nothing happening. Um, and, and from what you just said, that is the perfect way to anticipate uh, processes uh, and change. Um, so as you said, you don't necessarily know what is, what is coming, but you know that some things are, are coming. Um, and uh, yeah, what do you think, Dimitri? You said in the beginning you don't necessarily have any answers, but I would like to hear your thoughts on it. Yeah, that's the thing, right? I don't really have any good answers to this either. Uh, but I must agree with you, Mas. Uh, Christian completely blew my mind because I think we are in this uh, waters of startup being a thing where it's hard to predict things, hard to provide stability, like we discussed in the previous question. And then suddenly this idea of funding points, which are like, of course, they're uncertain, right? You never know if you're going to raise and how well you're going to raise, but they are here and they're sort of predictable. And once you raise, you, you also have a plan of what you're raising for. So it's actually like a certainty points in an uncertain startup. And this idea just like, I, my, my head explodes. Uh, and I think that kind of gives me a very good insight in how you can plan because you, in fact, yes, you can plan. Like once you have a funding, something's going to change and you can, uh, as you said, uh, Shruti, uh, like do some sort of change management related to that, but also between the points, you also have kind of a period of stability where you know that, okay, this is the scale we can afford ourselves right now. This is the scale within which we're going to work. Uh, and that makes so, so much sense in my head now. So yeah, thanks for this conversation. I love it. it it's always the least expected thing, right? And once you hear it, it, it feels so obvious. Why didn't I think about it? But yeah, there you go. Yes, could I just add how valuable this would be? I mean, the title itself is, you know, the problems facing startups and scale-ups, the challenges. And I feel like if you're a startup or a scale-up and you're listening to this, you're identifying them pressure points six months in advance and you're starting to think ahead. It's definitely something that can be identified and implemented into other companies' practices. So I'd like to thank you all for your participation and cohesion of opinion on that one. So um, the final question to ask is, does anybody have anything further to add or perhaps any more any more topics you'd wish to discuss? No, thank you so much for a good conversation. No, it's not a problem. So I should be the one thanking you all for your amazing contributions that you've made today. If you would like to get involved. I really love how we kind of connected uh, like these things about uncertainty and culture on and like predicting startups in one hand. And then also on the other hand, uncertainty in a bigger context for different people and also like anticipating changes in vision. Yeah, it was super nice, super nice to uh, have this talk. A lot of good insights. Yeah, thanks everyone for for 
giving your insights. It's been a really amazing chat. So if you're listening to this and you would like to get involved in a future podcast, please approach me on LinkedIn or email me on connor.leyland at evolution-nordics.com and I'll see you all soon.